Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I am great. It's been a fun day in the NFL. It has been a great day on the NFL internet. We normally don't get these days. This year, it feels like we haven't had many bits of news to kind of chew on for these Thursday shows. Let's just say that today, there is plenty to chew on. I am looking forward to it. I mean, it's one of the weirdest NFL days we've had in a really long time. And some of it has been bad news. I mean, there's a lot more COVID stuff going on, but there's been some really fun stuff too. And it's been a long time since we've gotten to have like a viral Twitter, lots of jokes day. And it's been great. So let's just, let's just get into it. So we're going to get to the games of the week. There are a lot of good ones. There are a ton of good matchups. The primetime games are so much better than they were last week. (laughs) So I'm excited to talk about that. Before we do any of that, though, let's talk about how we all started our day. And that is with the news that the Giants fired offensive line coach Mark Colombo. So there, as there always are with these sort of things, there were differing reports that came out. Originally, there was a report they had gotten into a physical fight. Now it feels like that's died down a little bit and there was just a disagreement. So the idea, it seems like, was that the Joe Judge was trying, the Joe Judge, was trying to bring in Dave Guglielmo to be a consultant or some sort of other voice in the room for the offensive line. Mark Colombo, understandably, did not like that. There was a bit of an argument, and reportedly he was fired. That's what's come out so far. So let's just talk about this on an actual football level first. This is weird. I reached out to a couple offensive linemen that I know about how strange that would be to have like a third voice in the room as just someone else teaching you this stuff. I, I think for the most part, it feels like we have avoided disaster with Joe Judge. And I think this summer, it felt like we might be setting ourselves up for some of that. But this is undeniably strange. Everything about wanting to bring this guy in just as a way to tweak your coaching staff at this point in the season. Yeah, to me, it felt like a very like Patriots way what sometimes assistants who come off of the Bill Belichick tree tend to do when they they want to bring in their own guys. You know, Mark Colombo has a pretty long history with Jason Garrett, came yep. from Dallas with Jason Garrett. If they're, you know, so now I have questions about what other sort of friction might be going on on the offensive staff. And if there have been disagreements about philosophies and play calling and the direction, some of the reports that we've seen today from the New York media is that Joe Judge has been pretty unhappy with the offensive line play from earlier in the season is taking a larger role in those meetings has been calling out offensive linemen, which obviously the offensive line coach took um, a lot of uh, issue with. And, you know, that's kind of what led to this. There's been some really good reporting in the last few hours, you know, by the Giants reporters, you know, Kim Jones from NFL Network, who is as plugged in on the Giants beat as anybody, um, said that, yes, there was a verbal altercation, including uh, including Mark Colombo calling his boss, Joe Judge, the dirtiest word in the English language, which now my mind is racing because I want to know exactly. So many options, none of said. which we're going to get to here. I, I, this is, well, look, we will curse on this podcast, but we will not be doing that. But um, It still says clean lyrics next to this show on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. So like if we go down that, that road, it feels like our producer, Marissa, might have to do some extra work. So we're going to try to avoid that. But it's, it is a very messy situation, and I'm very curious what's going to happen moving forward because all of a sudden, it's like the Giants have started getting their stuff together. Notice me not cursing. Look at you. Getting their, getting their stuff together, and they've played another best couple games over the last couple weeks. Um, look, they've played their best games against other NFC East teams who are largely garbage, but it seems like... Of anybody in that division, they might be the only one who's on somewhat of an upward trajectory. And now you go and there's a lot of drama again, and you do stuff that could potentially disrupt whatever chemistry you were building on offense. So really interesting, really fun to speculate about. Um, but I'm very curious what kind of you know actual on-field ramifications it's going to have moving forward. 
So the one place I'm a little bit plugged in is with offensive linemen. And I've been talking to a couple of people today. And one of the things that I heard is that apparently Mark Colombo just wasn't the best practical teacher when it came to the position. When you're 6'8", you're a former first-round pick, and you were a really talented guy. There Occasionally, you can get some stuff lost in translation about being a good teacher of certain techniques and everything else. And they were probably a little bit frustrated with Andrew Thomas's development, and they probably wanted to make a change. And I think that's what happened here. So now that we've approached this as adults – Let's approach it as children, because (laughs) even if they didn't get into a physical fight, it's very fun to speculate about some of the offshoot questions that would arise if they had gotten into a physical fight. So I just want to set the scene here a little bit. Mark Colombo is six foot eight and was the front man of a metal band that was also comprised of former Dallas Cowboy offensive linemen. One of my all time favorite bits of trivia about an NFL player. Barnwell loved it back in the day. I continue to love it. So and you already tweeted the picture today. So go to Robert's oh, Twitter at Robert Mays and it's see great. the photo because it's great. So taking that into account, it makes me think about a lot of different questions. The first question is, if you were doing a pool before this season of which head coach would be most likely to fight one of his assistants... Joe Judge is probably up there, right? Is he number Absolute. one? He he was really high up there, although I probably wouldn't have said he's most likely to be up there because of a temper or a rage issue. I would have put it as like some sort of motivational tactic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He would have built it into his program. <laughs> it's like, all right, at 530, we have Fight Club just to toughen everybody <laughs> up. I'll go first. That I can completely see that. I mean, the same type of guy that would slide headfirst through a puddle in order to get his team like kind of jacked up, I think is the exact type of guy who would schedule a fight just to send a message. He's up there for me. Also, I think high on this list has to be Mike Zimmer. It always brings me back to the quote he had about Bobby Petrino in 2007 when Petrino left the Falcons and Zimmer was essentially like, fuck that guy. Also on Monday, I'm we can swear every once in a while. We just got to keep it at a minimum. <laughs> And then on Monday night, when <laughs> Cordell Patterson returned that kickoff for a touchdown, Mike Zimmer was just fuming on the sideline. Yeah. There, the second play when Anthony Miller looked like he might have a chance to bring back the punt in that same half, if that had happened, the offensive line, or the special teams coach just has to leave the building. For his own personal and physical well-being, I think he would have to leave the building. And other questions that arise from this, and I think even more important questions... Mark Colombo is a six foot eight offensive line coach, so he's definitely in the discussion. But who is the assistant coach on any given staff that you would least like to fight? I think it's between the offensive line coach and the strength coach. Well, the yeah, st- strength coaches are largely psychotic. Yes, and a lot of them are big. Actually, I may have done some deep Googling today about all the strength coaches and what they look like. Not as many jacked up dudes as you might think. There are a couple, though. That are just like big, scary guys that I would not want to fight. John Green's son, Wall Short, absolutely shredded up. Would not want to get it, mess it up with that guy. I was going to say college strength coaches are like a whole different, that's like almost a whole different category. Yes. Um, NFL strength coaches are pretty close to there, but like a lot of the NFL strength coaches have a little bit more like the sports science and less of just the sheer, like, I want to see how much you can squat in them. It's going to be great. a really good, good show today. <laughs> that, that, that was great. All right. So my third question here, this is the most important question. If we were doing a Royal Rumble Battle Royale sort of setup among the NFL head coaches, this is a question I feel like I answer once a year or think about once a year. I want to know who you think would win. If we were just literally one by one actual Royal Rumble setup where they come out, you got to throw them over the top rope. Who wins the Royal Rumble among NFL coaches? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is Mike Vrabel. And I almost feel yes. like it's too obvious and we have it's to like, pull him out because he's his own category. And, you know, I did about, I think it was five years ago, I was on a reporting trip somewhere and there must have been a coach fight that happened. And I'm trying to remember, I, I, I was in the Raiders locker room. I was doing a story about Derek Carr and Amari Cooper during their rookie year. And during that like weird downtime that you always have when you're reporting. God, what a terrible uh, a place that was. Couple reporters. Was. Oh, so so bad. Um so bad. at that old facility in Oakland. Oh, it was before the home gotten... locker room. It was a home locker room and it was unlivable. Oh, well, it was I was terrible. at I was at I was in Alameda, like at their facility. No, that's what I'm saying. Yes. Oh, okay. In their, their yeah. actual like facility locker room. It was just yeah, a, it was a terrible. closet. 
But I remember standing in there and I made a bracket, like a March Madness style bracket in my notebook. Um, I have a photo of it somewhere, but it was... Oh, I'm staring at it right now. I'm staring at the one you just made. Well, so I made another one today, but I made one like by hand while I was... I believe I was waiting for Khalil Mack, which any reporters might be listening to this. If you're waiting for Khalil Mack, you might be there for like 18 years. Yes. But um, so I made a bracket. So I made another one today where I seeded a 32 team bracket, seeded them by division, you know, one through four each division um, had a, a little bit of trouble with a couple of the divisions figuring out exactly the seedings. Um, you know, NFC North, I had a little bit of trouble figuring out. I put Zimmer. I thought Zimmer was a clear one seed, but the three guys after that, I wasn't exactly sure. Um, NFC West, I thought was really hard to seed with McVay, Kingsbury, Shanahan, and Carroll. A lot of guys in the same weight class there. And then you have Pete who, and a, and I can just old imagine Pete strength. Carroll was like an old timey boxing gloves on. <laughs> coming out looking yeah. like Jack Dempsey. Um, yeah. And then like Shanahan, McVeigh and Kingsbury are all guys who like played, but weren't really good enough to play call. You know, Did you, have you ever seen a picture D1 of Kyle college? Shanahan in college? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he and I are His the same age growing up so in Colorado. Much bigger. I like he actually, I mean, because he was a wide receiver. He looked so much bigger as a player. I was shocked when I saw a picture of him from Texas. Um, so yeah, but you know, I, so I think there are a couple like interesting names. We've all seen Sean McVay without his shirt on, thanks to Hard Knocks, which makes me a little uncomfortable. We've all seen Pete Carroll with his shirt off because of uh, DK Metcalf at the combine. Uh, <laughs> there's just a lot of weird stuff happening right now. But um, I don't know who else do you have up there? Mike so Tomlin, there, the, right? I I really do appreciate the one seeds you put in here because it's a lot of the guys that I think are sneaky good in this conversation. Raheem Morris, much bigger guy than you think he is. Uh, Anthony Lynn, much bigger guy than you think he is. Vrabel's a given. I think the quiet contender in all of this is actually Doug Marone, who is a (laughs) very big man and I would not want to mess with. That is the one guy I think that people would probably not put him in like the top six or seven. He's absolutely in the conversation. And he has that O-line coach part to him that we already talked about where you don't really want to mess with those guys. So yeah, the NFC or the AFC South could be like the best division to to Uh, that. That's the one I would want to watch to see who came out of that one. We will tweet this bracket. We will tweet it. Yes. Along with this podcast. So fill it out. Let us know what you think. Um, Let us know which seedings I got wrong and uh, send us, send us your brackets and let us know who you think your winner is. So if the strength coach is the last guy on the staff, you'd want to fight. I would also say he's the last guy in the staff. You would want to give you a haircut (laughs) like that. The Venn diagram of those things is a circle. And (laughs) I say this followed very closely own, by offensive line coaches. Yes, for both. very quickly by offensive line coach. I say this because our own Daniel Popper from the Athletic tweeted out a picture today of Justin Herbert after our poor young Justin was given a haircut by the strength coach. I have so many things that I want to ask and talk about in regard to this. What was your initial reaction when you saw the terrible Justin Herbert haircut? It was just, oh, no. Oh, that's what you, oh, that's what you said oh, to me. No. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. I tweeted it to, to Popper and I sent it to you in our Slack because I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is this is bad. Um, so many questions. I mean, it's a bad haircut. It's also just a questionable decision. Um are they current? Like, is this going to be like a slump buster thing? Is are, is it going to be some new weird curse? I don't I don't know. It just it was all bad. And once he said that the strength coach gave it to him, and I he just, said he did a good job, which oh, he did not do poor, a good job. Poor sweet Justin Herbert. I mean, I, I know. do. I will say I do appreciate that he does not give a you know what enough that he would just let some dude with a pair of clippers give him like a quarantine level haircut because Tom Brady would never. Right. Yes. And I think it's a great move in that way. I think it's a, I'm one of the guys I'm not too precious sort of thing. It can endear you to your teammates. I totally agree with that. That being said, my first inst- my I tweeted out as soon as I saw it. It was like that they massacred my boys seen from the Godfather because I've come to love Justin Herbert and it's a terrible decision on so many different levels. First of all, I'm not in a position to throw stones. I didn't figure out my hair until I was like 25. And I made a lot of terrible hair decisions in my early 20s like a lot of guys do. Thankfully, I was not the quarterback of an NFL team and got to do them in private when he does not. He seems like a sweet kid. It's just, it's a tough moment for him. 
my question is, when you can grow the hair that he had, when you have that look, stick with it, man. Five years from now, 10 years from now, you may not be able to grow that hair. You're going to regret this. Second of all, as a marketing thing, it's a distinctive look. Now completely gone. And so also, it's November what? 18th? Yes. Is that the date? You've already made it out of the woods in Los Angeles. In August in LA, it would be terrible to have long hair. You've already done it. This is not the time. I just, so many different things. And, and I, it, I feel like it's going to be fine. It's just, it's been, probably been a rough afternoon for him. That's all I'll say. Well, so here's, let this be a learning experience for Trevor Lawrence. Oh, that Trevor, would never happen. I hope you're watching. No, that would never, ever happen. That kid knows exactly how to do it. And that's why he's going to be the number one pick. That's why Justin Herbert fell to six. It's not because he was quiet or anything like that. It's because people knew that he was the type of guy that would do this to his hair. That would let a strength coach cut his hair. That's right. It has nothing to do with production in Oregon, anything. If he had Trevor Lawrence's hair, he'd go number one. I actually kind of believe that might be true. <laughs> That's like a take I'm like halfway there on. All right. Now that we're fully off the rails. All right. Let's move on to the games this week. Which don't involve uh, Justin Herbert. There are plenty of good games this week. So we're going to break down two games of the week and then get to our individual matchups. When I was watching the Bears play the Vikings on Monday night and I realized that Rams-Bucks was the Monday night game for week 11, I was thinking to myself, are there two more different games that you could possibly have on an NFL slate right now? And I think the answer is no. This game is whatever the opposite of Vikings-Bears was, and that's why I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of others that we could have thrown, like we could have thrown in there, you know, Bills Cardinals, like we got last weekend. But just in terms of stylistically, quarterback play, play calling. Um, do I want to can, watch this? Do I want to watch? I mean, Am I yeah. not embarrassed to try to explain this to my four-year-old? Um, who was very into that game the other night, which was really troubling. But um, She's but the yeah, only one. She, she is. It's because she really likes the color purple. So, so do I. So I, I understand where her. she's coming from there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, stylistically, it's great. And both of the primetime games, we're going to get into Chiefs Raiders in a little bit. But yeah, it's this is a really nice slate. And I'm glad not to have um, the Patriots on primetime again this week. We had the Jets in primetime two weeks ago. I mean, this is just a nice little a nice little break after a pretty garbage slate. And the Thursday night game is fantastic. Um, Cardinals, Seahawks. It's a really, really good lucky. collection of games. I- I'm looking forward to Bucks Rams for, for a bunch of different reasons. One, I was thinking back to last year's game between these two teams. Crazy game. That was the game where Jared Goff threw 68 passes and threw for 500 yards, and the Bucks scored 55 points and won. Just a wild game. I went back to watch some of it today just to see if I could pick up anything. And the answer was kind of no. So the Bucks approach defensively. They're running that 6-1 early, the same way a lot of teams have against the Rams. I think that that is even a little bit outdated. The Bucks defensive personnel was also just different enough where it, you're not sure if you can really learn a lot. Like MJ Stewart was still playing at that point. Vernon Hargaves was still getting snaps. The Bucks defense, just personnel-wise, is a lot better now. I would say, you know, thinking about this from a Rams perspective, the Rams had really one of their first tests of the year last week playing against the Seahawks offense. They had faced up to that point the least, or excuse me, the worst slate of offenses in the league. So while they were number one in EPA per play allowed on defense, they were something like eighth on in DVOA because of the schedule. So this is just another test for them to play a really good Bucks offense. So I think it just represents a measuring stick for these teams. So the Bucks, this is a big test for them two weeks removed from getting shellacked by the Saints. They played well against Carolina, but this is a different sort of beast. And like you said, there's just a ton of playoff implications when it comes to this game. How much are the Rams going to feel, feel the loss of Andrew Whitworth? How big of a factor I, is that going to be, you think? I think it's a lot just because of the way that the Bucks bring pressure. You know, Goff is somebody that's really struggled under pressure this year. I mean, most quarterbacks do, but he's even it's even more pronounced when you watch him play. And I think that the pressure that they bring and the amount of one-on-ones that it creates, it's going to put a lot on Joe Nopum's plate here. I mean, if you think about just how often the Bucks are blitzing, 
know, they're bringing heat as much as any other team in the league. And that kind of aligns with what we've seen teams do to Jared Goff this year. Saw the Dolphins blitz him a ton. He had a lot of problems with it. He's getting blitzed on 35.5% of his dropbacks, and he's averaging 6.3 yards per attempt on those plays. He's averaging 8.4 yards per attempt when not being blitzed, according to PFF. So it's a huge test for a revamped team. I mean, this is the first time they're going to have to play without Whitworth this season against a defensive front that's not the Seahawks. And I think it's going to show up a lot more this week than it did last week. And my sense is that Goff just relies on Whitworth for everything. I mean, just he's he's such a massive presence in their huddle, in their locker room. His voice is really, really loud in all their meetings. And he says he's still going to be in all of their meetings. And I'm sure he has been this week virtually as he's, you know, starting to deal with his knee injury. But it's a really big loss. And I don't think we can understate just how important that's going to be. And um, especially against a team that brings as much pressure as we know that the Bucks are going to, because that's just what Todd Bowles's DNA is going to be. So uh, it's a really tough matchup. I do feel a lot better about the Rams now than I did a week ago when we were talking about heading into that Seahawks game, because I had such a negative feeling about the Rams, the way they went into their bye week after the way they played against the Dolphins. I do feel a lot better about them now. And I think this is a week that we're going to learn a lot about a couple playoff contenders. I mean, the Rams have themselves in a situation right now where they could be the favorite in that division if they win this game. And that's a really hard division. Obviously, we're going to learn a lot Thursday night between Cardinals and the Seahawks. But if the Rams can win this game, I would probably put them as the NFC West favorite, even above the Cardinals right now. And so I just think it's a chance for them to really make a statement and uh, looking forward to it. I'll be curious to see just how the Rams defense ends up playing them. You know, saw what Jalen Ramsey could do last week when he was one-on-one with DK Metcalf and how that freed up some other resources defensively for the Rams in pass coverage. Be curious to see who he would guard if that's the case. You know, if he if he does end up following one of those guys or because the way that their personnel kind of shakes out, they don't think that's necessary. The other thing is the Bucks offense has just not been good at running the ball. You know, they had a really that long Ronald Jones run, but for the most part, their efficiency on those runs has not been good. And if the Rams can just kind of sit back in two high looks and dare the Bucks to run the ball and not be, not get beat over the top and just kind of contain that passing game, I think that that's the approach that makes the most sense. So really fun game. I mean, the Rams are an inherently interesting team. We talk about them all the time on the Sunday show. They're at the forefront of a lot of different stuff, and it seems like that game against the Dolphins might be a blip. You know, if they can knock off the Bucks and really show that they're arguably the most complete team in the NFC, who knows what can happen from there. So if you're Brandon Staley, do you put Jalen Ramsey on Mike Evans? Do you look at what the Saints did, the way that the Saints have played against the Bucks offense pretty well and what they've done to eliminate Mike Evans? Or do you keep him back in that kind of that star hybrid, don't have him shadow like he did a week ago? I think that could make sense. I mean, we've seen what it works when Marshawn, when Marshawn Lattimore takes Evans out of the game. It's clearly a formula that the Saints have followed and succeeded with. So I think that would make a lot of sense if they end up doing that. All right, let's get to our other big game this week. Ravens and Titans. This is a game between two teams who desperately need to turn things around on offense. And in a way, I think they're kind of comparable. You know, Both of these teams really succeeded last year in part because of the way they ran the ball and the way that they kind of use play action as a complement to that. And that just hasn't been working for either of them. Which of these offenses would you feel, would you say you have the most confidence in kind of bouncing back from the last couple of weeks that they've had? Oh, it's that's really tough because I think in a single player, I probably have more confidence in Lamar Jackson. I just have a lot of fundamental questions about who the Ravens are on offense right now, how they're going to be able to overcome some of their really significant injury issues. And as much as I like Lamar Jackson and believe he is one of the rare game-changing type of players in the NFL right now I'm I'm not I'm just not sure if they he has enough around him right now to be able to make up for the deficiencies elsewhere um so yeah I mean I I guess just because I I I guess I have to say Lamar Jackson and the Ravens because we've seen it we've I think the, the body of work is there but I'm really hesitant about it but like you said I mean this is really a statement. I mean, I think a month ago I would have been just jacked up to see like two really exciting offenses. And now the, the, the script on this is completely flipped where both of these teams have not been great on offense lately. And I'm not sure. I mean, what's the, what's the case for the Titans you think then? I think because they had been so good early in the year, 
you know, for a good chunk of the season, they were a top five offense when it came to efficiency. And it's really just hit a skid over the last couple of weeks. And you could say, well, they played two really good defenses in Chicago and Indianapolis, but the Ravens are a really good defense too. And I think one of the issues that the Titans have run into is similar to one of the issues that the Ravens have been facing all year. And that's when they don't run the ball efficiently on early downs and they're getting into these third and longs. They're just not built to play that way. So the Titans over the last two weeks are running the ball at the third highest rate in the NFL, which is not not a surprise. 56% of early downs, that's the way that they're built. The problem is they're not doing much with those. They're 23rd in EPA per play on those runs. So that's forced Tannehill into some third and longs that he hasn't really had to face as the quarterback of that team over the last season and a half. 12 times in the past two games, he's faced a third and six or more. He's four of 11 on those plays. He's averaging 2.45 yards per attempt on those throws. Yikes. Yeah. And and that's the issue. And over the past two games, he's actually dead last in the composite metric that Ben Baldwin does, combining completion percentage over expectation and EPA, which is just, in my opinion, a really good shorthand for how a quarterback is playing. So that's the issue, is that the Titans just aren't getting into those favorable down and distance situations that they had been when their offense was rolling. And if you're making Ryan Tannehill drop back to throw, he's not the same guy. And it just feels like the Ravens are set up to put them in those spots. They have the third best defense in the NFL against the run by DVOA. And they're blitzing a ton. And Tannehill has taken 10 of his 12 sacks this year against those against the blitz. So all the things are kind of stacking up here and pointing to another tough game for the Titans offense. And then we don't have to belabor the point because we talked about it a bunch on yesterday's show with Chris Brown, but the Ravens are in kind of a similar spot. You know, they're they're running on 53% of their early downs. That's the sixth highest rate in the league. And only two teams in the NFL this season have lost more EPA on first down runs than the Ravens. Those teams are the Chargers and the Cowboys. Wow. You look at last year, no team added more EPA on early on first down runs than the Ravens. So it's almost completely flipped. And I think combined with all man coverage and the things we talked about yesterday, it's just not putting them in the same position. So I think it's a battle of two offenses that just have gotten off track and off schedule more than they can when it comes to the types of situations they want to put their quarterbacks in. So And when, it, and when we look at that matchup with the, that side of the ball, I mean, Last year, when these two teams played in the playoffs, I mean, it was a stunning performance by the Titans defense, and they have not been great lately. I mean, they they certainly weren't great against the Colts last week. I think they're kind of a high-variance defense where they can come up with some big plays here and there, mm-hmm. but I don't trust them on a, you know, a 60-minute week-by-week, um, week-by-week type of thing, and they played so well against the Ravens last year. And I don't know if they did something to the Ravens. They solved something with the way that they stopped their running game in that playoff game that really changed like who Baltimore was and the way that they approached things. But to me, this is a really interesting matchup, but I'm just not sure how much of what we saw in January is going to apply to this game this week. I think it might be some of the same stuff because I think that the Titans did a great job of making the Ravens push the ball outside the numbers in the same way that other teams are this year. They're essentially you know, putting two guys in, whether it's a safety playing in the middle of the field, a linebacker playing in the middle of the field, serving as both a set of eyes on Lamar Jackson and a way to kind of take away those throws in between the numbers. And they're pushing the ball, forcing the tight, the Ravens to push the ball outside the numbers against man coverage, which they've struggled to do. And Lamar Jackson, for however dynamic he is, occasionally can you know, have issues with pinpoint ball placement outside the numbers. And that's exactly where teams are pushing the ball. And the Titans, I'm not sure they found the formula, but they were one of the first teams, I think, to really lean into that approach. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the same sort of thing this week. And also a lot of playoff implications, right? I mean, similar the way that we talked about with with the Bucks and the Rams, where I think both of these teams early in the year thought they were going to win their divisions. And probably a lot of us thought that they were going to win their divisions too. And they both very clearly seem like wild card teams and having an extra wild card or maybe two wild cards, depending on how the rest of the season shakes out, will help both of these teams. But there could be some really important seeding stuff going on here, trying to avoid a trip to Kansas City, another game against Pittsburgh. So really, really important game. And that's why this time of the year is getting fun, because we can actually start, these games have long-term implications. I mean, for Baltimore, they seemed like they were going to cruise to at least a wild card spot a couple weeks ago. Now they're sitting at six and three, the 
Browns are also six and three. The Titans are six and three. The Raiders are six and three. If the Titans win this game against Baltimore this weekend and they have the tiebreaker, that's going to go a huge way in really determining the AFC playoff picture. Baltimore thankfully has the tiebreaker over the Colts, but I mean these games are getting extremely important with all of these teams playing against each other and every single implication that that could have. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get Direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream Direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So, Lindsay, let's get to our favorite matchups of the weekend. Why don't you start us off? All right, so the Sunday night game, which it should still be the Sunday night game where we sit here now recording this Wednesday evening, um, the Kansas City Chiefs against the Las Vegas Raiders is the Sunday night game. Um, there is some a lot of news going on with these teams. And, you know, we've because of the way that COVID has been just taking over the country and the NFL, we kind of have been able to move away from, OK, there's this team that has positive cases here and there. Well, the Raiders have seven players right now on their, the COVID list, including they put most of their starting defense onto the COVID list um, on Wednesday because of high-risk close contacts. Um, Cleland Farrell tested positive, and then there was a whole bunch of guys who were determined to be high-risk close contacts. It's Jonathan Abrams, Malik Collins, Jonathan Hankins, and a couple backups, David Irving, Isaiah Johnson, Arden Key, and Kendall Vickers. That's a lot of players who aren't going to get to practice. That's a lot of players. On. Yeah, um, that are not going to get to practice. They should be able to play. The Raiders went through this a couple weeks ago when their whole offensive line wasn't able to practice because of the high-risk close contacts. And they were able, they were cleared and they were able to play. But look, this is a lot of players. It's an indication of what's going on inside that Raiders building and the way that they, what they believe about the NFL's protocols and mask wearing and all that sort of stuff, which... We don't need to get into all of that right now. Although I would say <laughs> there'll probably be some more fines, if not other punishments coming. They've already been fined more than a million dollars and have had draft pick issues already now coming up in terms of punishment. So the fact that the NFL has made it very clear that if you don't want to be a high risk close contact, just wear your mask around the building. Clearly, the Raiders are not doing that. So they should expect, expect some punishment. But so it's not great when you're coming into a rematch against the Chiefs, where you, they played their best game of the year. It was an almost perfect, their perfect game. Not a perfect game, but it was the Raiders' perfect game when they beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium last month, where they just played so disciplined up front. They really controlled the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball, but they got really good interior pressure. Max Crosby, who's one of the guys not on the COVID list, so at least he can practice. He played great. They sacked him three, they sacked Mahomes three times, five quarterback hits. And that's just the way you have to play to, to beat the Chiefs. And I'm really curious to see if they can do that again. And matchups wise, the one place that the Chiefs offense has been vulnerable, it's been with their offensive line. Yep. They've been consistently mediocre is maybe the best way to put that. Mitchell Schwartz has been out of the lineup a lot. We know he's a 
we're, he's one of our favorites here <laughs> on the athletic football show. Just he's so Friend valuable. And, and it's been it's been clear. It's been a difference when he hasn't been playing um, in this middle part of the season. Now he and Eric Fisher are both on the COVID reserve list as high risk close contacts. They should be cleared by um, Saturday in time to travel to L.A. or to Las Vegas, excuse me, to play. But these these are some big questions about kind of how they can handle the way that the Raiders are clearly going to want to play them defensively. And if they're going to be able to handle, you know, consistent pressure and if the Raiders can kind of produce that sort of pressure on another game. And the Raiders front is playing a lot better. I mean, they played well against the Broncos last week. The Broncos don't have a great offensive line, but it's also not a terrible offensive line. I mean, it's a group that it has fine, played yeah. better this season than I think some people expected them to. For and sure. If, yeah. And if that group up front for Vegas can continue to kind of bring some heat and really kind of take a step forward. I mean, it's a group that, you know, Rod Marinelli came in to kind of transform and it seems like they might be coming along here. I am curious to see how that matchup plays out. I'm also excited to watch this Raiders offense against the Chiefs defense because I think that was a huge part of what they did last game and the kind of formula they had to beat them is that they were making plays down the field. I think that the Raiders came into this season and essentially wanted to add a dynamic element to their offense. They wanted to add the same sort of speed to their offense that the Chiefs had with Tyreek Hill. And Henry Ruggs gives them that. He doesn't have a ton of production in terms of catches, everything else. But when you watch the space he creates, it really does matter. And he had a couple big plays in that Chiefs game. And I just think that the way that the... I've really come to like watching the Raiders offense. We talked about this a little bit yesterday with with Vic and Tashaun when we did our team visit about the Raiders. But... They do such a good job of putting their guys in spots that create space. And I think that you know, you look at the Chiefs defensively and the way they like to play, they play more press man coverage than any other team in the NFL. I believe it's 39% of the time. And the Raiders have, last time they played, and any time a team has played a lot of man coverage against them, they do a really cool job where they kind of mimic what the Chiefs offense does. They put Darren Waller as the single set receiver to one side, and they do kind of a trips to the other side. And they have Waller one-on-one or they have some space-creating stuff with the trips. And the long touchdown or the long completion of rugs down the middle of the field last game was out of one of those sets. And I just think they've done such a good job out of those and playing with leverages and playing with space. It's going to be a fun little kind of cat and mouse game to see how John Gruden creates some of that space and kind of manufactures down the field plays in the same way he did when these teams played each other the first time. And kudos to Derek Carr for getting the ball down the field. I mean, that was our big concern coming into the season was they were adding all of these pieces and these elements and you could see what they wanted to do, but we weren't sure if their quarterback would be able to do it or want to do it or I don't want to be brave enough to do it as maybe that's not the right way, but like have the confidence to to really yeah. throw it on the field. And and they've been doing that. And this is a good week to try that and to keep doing that. And they, they saw those holes in the Chiefs defense and Chiefs pass rush hasn't been great. Their secondary is certainly vulnerable at times. I think they're a defense that is generally, they're going to make the big plays when they have to. And they're kind of that bend don't break style where they might give up a lot of yards, but they will come up with some turnovers in the red zone. I think their safeties, you know, will come up big in big moments. And, but I, I I just think it's the Raiders offense has been really surprising. Um, There's some other fun elements to this game though, right? It's Andy Reid coming out of a bye week where he's 18 and three. There's some conspiracy theorists around the Raiders, Raiders fan base for sure, that um, three years in a row now, the Raiders have had to play the Chiefs coming off of the Chiefs bye week. (laughs) (laughs) The Chiefs have scored 40 points in each of, or more than 40 in those last two games. Um, And then you get the fun um, bus gate, bus victory lap driving around Arrowhead Stadium after the game last month, which is just another fun, like, <laughs> are the Chiefs pissed off about it? Were the Raiders gloating? I'm not really sure. But this is a great rivalry. And I'm I'm glad it's back. Like, I'm glad that this really old school, like AFL rivalry is alive and thriving. And um, they're, they're, look, the Raiders are the only team that's beaten the Chiefs in the last 12 months. So this game is going to be really fun on Sunday night. I'll take the Chiefs for all the reasons that I just mentioned about Andy Reid and, you know, maybe having the Chiefs having a little extra motivation after the, the bus victory lap or whatever. Um, and then Patrick Mahomes. I mean, look, give me like 10, that doesn't 10, hurt. Ga- 10 games between Derek Carr and Patrick Mahomes. I'm probably going to take Patrick Mahomes in nine, nine and a half of them. But um, I'll, I'll take the Chiefs, but I think it's going to be really fun. I'm just excited to watch these two offenses play again. I just think that 
John Gruden and Andy Reid are doing as well as any play callers in the league of just creating opportunities for their players. I mean, you think that you know, Gruden probably isn't mentioned alongside those guys, but I've watched a lot of their offense over the last couple of days. And just it's the type of thing where everything has a purpose. Everything they're doing is for a reason. I mean, I've watched the the touchdown that the car threw to Waller when these two teams played earlier in the season. You can go back and watch it, the highlights. It's just such a beautiful play. They send rugs from left to right in jet motion, and you see the linebackers bump that way. And Waller was on the side that Ruggs left. And then it's a play-action throw, so the linebackers then step up, and Waller just runs a little shake route right behind it into that open void that was created by the motion and the play-action. And it's just an easy touchdown. It's just, It seems simple when you watch it. You think, oh, that makes sense. That's how you create that void. That's how you exploit it. But the Raiders do that stuff all the time. They're running tons of whip routes to beat man coverage on third down into space. It's just a really cool offense to watch when it comes to Again, everything having a purpose, everything having a function, and the Chiefs are the exact same way. They just do it at a slightly higher level because of the talent that they have. But I think that the mindset behind these offenses is very similar. It's a traditional West Coast approach filtered through a modern lens with a lot of motion, a lot of different shifts, and two tight ends that really are kind of in a class of their own when it comes to the way that they're deployed. So the similarities here are really fun. I think it's just going to be a really cool matchup to watch. The one that I just cannot wait to watch is the Packers offense against the Colts defense. I was talking to someone in Indy today, and it's amazing just what Aaron Rodgers can do. I'm glad that he is the boogeyman, not just for me, but for any team that's about to play against him. And he can strike fear into anyone right now for good reason. He's playing as well as any quarterback in the league. The Colts are playing as well in my opinion, is any defense in the league. And what they can do up front is just unlike what a lot of other teams can do. I think they're 12th in the NFL in pressure rate, but 30th in blitz rate. When you can do that, you give yourself a chance. And I'll just be really curious to see how some of the matchups end up playing out. You know, DeForest Buckner, are they going to try to put him over Lucas Patrick instead of Jenkins? Create some one-on-ones there. If they end up putting him to the other side, can guys like Danico Autry take advantage of a one-on-one matchup with somebody like Lucas Patrick. The Colts defensive line has done a really good job of exploiting those matchups this year or this this season so far. They get Kamiko Torre back after he had been on the pup list for the first part of the season. He was one of the most efficient per play pass rushers in the NFL last season before he got hurt. And I don't know how he'll look coming off an injury, but that's just one more body that the Colts can throw in their pass rush. And the other thing I, I just think is really worth watching the Colts play so much zone. They play more cover two than any other team in the league. The Packers, with some of those boot concepts that they run, do such a good job of flooding those zones. So just the cat and mouse game between Lafleur and Matt Eberflus, I think is going to be one of the coolest matchups to watch of the entire weekend. And the, the Colts defense has been one of those groups that they had a fantastic start to the season. And you kind of thought, can they keep this up? When they start playing better teams, better offenses, are they going to fall off the same way we've seen from other similarly built defenses in the past. So the, the 49ers defense was really good last year, but you could see the difference in the second half of the season when they started playing better quarterbacks. And it seems right now like the Colts formula, bring it four, play in zone, we're going to be sound, beat us, play in and play out is working for them and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Yeah, I mean, and some of the things that they were doing really well early in the year weren't sustainable, you know, scoring. I mean, they were of course. ridiculous rate of pick sixes and those sorts of things. But fundamentally... You have to like how they're built every level of that defense. The DeForest Buckner trade has paid off already. We're only halfway through the season, and it was clearly worth it. One of the best moves of the offseason. I'm really curious and excited to watch the Packers offense now that they're going to be at full strength. Alan Lazard is coming back. We're we're finally going to see like what this group was supposed to look like. And it's been a really, really long time. I mean, have we seen them at complete full strength? I mean, Devontae Adams was dealing with his injuries really dating back to the beginning of the year. So I'm not sure. I if think it was seen... really just week one. Week one was the last time we and saw they it happen. Great. And they, they looked they great. They looked great week one. They destroyed a Vikings defense that has since gotten much, much better. And then you think about the flip side of that. Kenny Moore and Kari Willis both missed practice today. So the Colts potentially could be without two members of their starting secondary and against this team at full strength and against Aaron Rodgers, that's definitely not where you want to be. So it's going to be a fascinating matchup. And I think one that kind of defines this weekend. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend, show up for yourself. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? 
The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. All right, Lindsay, let's get to who has the most at stake in the NFL this weekend. Why don't you start us off? All right, so I'm watching Jameis Winston. And while it's a a great call, the Saints have not officially decided who their starting quarterback or have not announced who their starting quarterback is going to be. uh, Sure, they haven't. You have to believe that it's going to be Jameis Winston. They did the same thing last year. I'm going to pick a guy who can play quarterback. (laughs) Right. Well, I think most of us have different opinions about Taysom Hill than the Saints appear to, given the amount of snaps that they continue to give him and the amount of money that they gave him. But, but yeah, I, I think mean, it's, it's got to be. Practical, I think it's one long practical joke from Sean Payton. I think he's just fucking with us and has been <laughs> for like the last two years. And with their cap because of it. Like, think of all the other people they could have signed instead of a guy that they want to have, like, play 40% of their snaps or it's not even that high, but, um, so it's going to be Jameis Winston, right? I mean, so Jameis Winston is going to get his shot after there was nowhere for him to start when there was the revolving door of quarterbacks last year, the carousel or the musical chairs or whatever we want to call it. When all of that movement finished back in March, there wasn't a spot for Jameis Winston. And this was a good move, right? For him to go sign with the saints, get to learn from a brilliant offensive coach and Sean Payton, get to sit behind one of the best quarterbacks ever in Drew Brees and, and a guy who plays the game completely differently than the way that Jameis played it. And now we get to see if Jameis has learned anything. And we only got to see a little bit of him um, last week when he came in after Drew Brees was hurt. So we got to play the second half and it's tough to take a ton away from a guy who wasn't the game plan, right? I mean, he wasn't, this wasn't scripted for him. He was kind of playing off the cuff, but he was still Jameis. Like he was throwing into triple coverage and he was sailing a couple passes and he was some taking some sacks in the red zone. So he was still making some of those, oh my God, Jameis decisions, the things that made him so frustrating to watch for all of those years in Tampa. But he dil- does still have the big arm. He has the athleticism. He has played a lot of games. I think he started 70 games in the NFL and um, the the turnovers have just been his big issue. So I want to, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. He's playing the Falcons and the Falcons defense that has actually been playing much better over the last few weeks of the season. It's a fun little element to this Saints Falcons rivalry to pull in Jameis Winston for who played against the Falcons for what, five years for a different team in the NFC South. So it's it, it's really going to be interesting. We saw what Teddy Bridgewater did with his opportunity last year when he came in in relief of Drew Brees, won all of his games, showed that he was a really good leader, that he was healthy, that you could rely on him to be a quality starting NFL quarterback. So now can Jameis Winston do the same thing? And he's going to have a couple weeks. We don't know exactly how long it's going to be, if it's going to be two games, four games. Drew Brees is dealing with cracked ribs and a lung issue. So it's really tricky to put a timeline on that sort of thing. But this is Jameis Winston's opportunity. If he wants to be a starting quarterback again in the in, in the NFL, this is his chance to prove it. I'm really curious how different their offense is going to look with him in the game. You know, last he year when Teddy Bridgewater... And that's, that's the thing. Last year when Teddy Bridgewater played, it felt like they were doing a lot of the same stuff. I mean, it was one of the lowest average depth of targets in the NFL. I think he was right there with Drew Brees. They might have been last and second to last in average depth of target among quarterbacks. With Jameis, it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. So does this Saints offense even have that gear to push the ball down the field with the personnel that they have? That's the biggest question that I have. And if Brees does happen to miss extended time, can Jameis bring this offense to a level that allows them to kind of keep pace with these other teams in the NFC? I mean, when the way the Saints played against with this after that game against the Buccaneers, I think 
a lot of people probably would have sat back and said, are the Saints truly the best team in the NFC? Can they show us that over the second half of the season? This changes that conversation a little bit, but if they can continue to play at a high level, potentially push for the number one seed, then you know who knows what they can do down the stretch. So I think that's the biggest question. What does this offense look like with Jameis? How does it differ from Drew Brees? And can Jameis kind of keep this Saints team playing at the level they have over the last few weeks, push for that bye, push to really have those consider them the best team in the NFC by the time the season is over? And can he see? This is his first start since he had LASIK. <laughs> Post-LASIK Jameis. So mine is Kyler Murray, and it's for this simple reason. It's another primetime showcase, and this is a guy who clearly is riding a wave after the Hale Murray and after the games that they've been winning, you know, the MVP is a narrative award. And if he can kind of go into this game against Russell Wilson and Russell, Russell and wrestle that kind of MVP, MVP favorite status away from Wilson. I mean, obviously Mahomes is in there as well, but you know, this is something where if you really catch a wave as an MVP candidate, it can be real. You can start to build momentum. You can start to really convince a lot of people, especially when you're doing it, on a big stage and with a primetime showcase. And that's what I'm curious to see. Can he continue doing this? Can he keep making those big plays? Can they keep rattling off these big wins? Because at a certain point, he's going to kind of thrust himself into that race with Mahomes, with Wilson. And it feels like he's close enough that with one more big game, we could be talking about him as you know, potentially the MVP favorite by the time the weekend is over. Yeah, Whether absolutely. he is or not, that, that's a whole different question. But again, kind of grasping hold of the narrative, I think, is something that is within reach now. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, we've talked about this before on the show that what voters look for and what they care about and the AP MVP award. And I know you and Nate kind of talked about the difference between like who's the actual best player in the league and who is the guy who's going to win the AP award. It's 50 voters who get one vote. It's not like the Heisman where it's 750 people who get to vote one, two, and three, and it's a total of all of the ballots. It's 50 people, one vote. So you're voting for one guy. And so there is a narrative. He has to be doing something that's better. He has to be on the best team. He has to be setting some sort of records. It has to be this massive breakthrough kind of season. But he could potentially be having that kind of breakthrough type of season. And statistically, this has been out there all, all week, right, that he's statistically playing better and performing better than Lamar Jackson was at this point last year. And Lamar did go on a tear you know, from mid-November through the end of the season and just how dominant that Ravens offense was. But if Kyler Murray and, and the Cardinals could do something similar, you know, why not? And, you know, I still think it's Patrick Mahomes is the favorite right now, and he can play so much better. And I think that offense can play so much better that he can get kind of back, even close to the 2018 pace, potentially throw more touchdowns than he did in 2018. But it's really interesting, and he's so exciting. Kyler Murray is so exciting. And thank God for this Thursday night game. I am very excited. I'm gonna, We're going to record our – my daughter's podcast because she loves the Cardinals so much that I think she just wants to be able to pick them. So we'll record early this week so she can pick Kyler Murray and the Cardinals again. I mean, you look at the numbers from last year. Lamar had 3,100 passing yards in 15 games. He had 36 passing touchdowns. He had 43 total touchdowns and 1,200 rushing yards. Okay. You look at what Kyler Murray is doing. He's on pace to throw for more than 4,000 yards. As a rusher, he's got, he's got 604 rushing yards. So it, he's right there potentially to get up to a thousand he's already rushed for 10 touchdowns and he's on pace to essentially match Lamar Lamar Jackson's total touchdown number from last year so if you look at some of that I mean if they continue to win and they somehow can wrestle that division away it's not out of the question at all in my opinion for him to end up winning that award because I do think he's kind of keeping pace with with what Lamar did last year even if the Ravens kind of took hold of the season and they own the year in the way that the Cardinals aren't I still think that if they keep rattling off these wins in prime time, there's a chance that the Cardinals can kind of be the team of the year and that Kyler can be the player of the year. Because again, with Mahomes fatigue, it's harder for him to become that guy. All right. So for our one big question this week, Lindsay, we're not going to ask a big question about week 11. I want to ask a question that someone reached out to me and asked this week, and it was after the Bears horrendous performance on Monday night. And I was asked a couple different things, but one of the questions was, do the Bears have less hope than any other team in the league over the next few years? And I'm curious what your answer to that question is. If you were picking the team that just had the, the hardest path forward, let's say over the next three seasons, who would you say it was? Well, 
the bears have to be up there. And that's depressing. And I know that's what precipitated this question because some of the other teams that are the worst teams in the NFL right now that are consistently at the bottom, at least they have a quarterback situation figured out. I mean, I think there's a, the, the Jets are a mess. I wouldn't feel a ton of hope if I'm a Jets fan, but you are. I, I mean, absolutely they, would. If if you finish with the number one pick and you can get Trevor Lawrence and you can bring in a new coach and you have all this cap space, you have the Seahawks first round pick. You can go out and get Allen Robinson in free agency. If I were the Jets, I would feel Allen Robinson. Damn don't okay do right it. Now. Don't I'm do just, it. Allen Robinson. But he, he could play with Trevor Lawrence. He'd be the best quarterback yeah. he's ever played with. Well, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I think there is there. There's a lot of reasons to not have a ton of hope and to be mis- really miserable if you're a Jets fan right now, but at least you have that on the horizon. Chicago doesn't have that sort of stuff on the horizon in terms of draft pick capital. I think if you're the te- if you're a Texans fan right now, I think it's pretty depressing to look at what your kind of long-term future is. You do have the Deshaun quarterback. Watson already eliminates them from that conversation. Oh, I don't know, but they are rapidly spiraling into that territory of the Washington football team who should also be in that conversation where you're just a messy franchise from top to bottom. And it's depressing if you're a Texans fan because you have a generational quarterback and you see an organization that is probably going to ruin him. And that is depressing as you know what. Well, in the next two years, by in 2022, the Texans can have this entire thing blown up. They don't have the picks this year, which is you know, on its face, that's tough. But in, by 2022, they can get a lot of those contracts off the books, and you're still sitting there at that point with a 27-year-old Deshaun Watson. His presence alone, in my opinion, eliminates them from the conversation. The Jets are in decent shape. The Giants, I think, might be there. I mean, they have like $25 million in cap space next season. Who knows what's going to happen with Daniel Jones? There's a chance you get a top 10 pick this year, and you don't pick another quarterback, so you're rolling forward with Daniel Jones. I think that's they're probably in the discussion. In my opinion, there are two teams that stand above the rest. The Chicago Bears, it's undeniable that they're there, and the Eagles. The Eagles are, I think, $80 million over the $175 million cap next year. And they just paid their not-good quarterback an unbelievable amount of money. And to move on from him is almost impossible when you think of the accounting of it. You know, we've... We know that the NFL is a cash business, and if they feel like they should roll with Jalen Hurts, there's a way that they can probably make it happen, but it's going to be very difficult. Uh, This is a team that pushed all of its chips into the middle, and I always like to think of it this way, and I've had this conversation a lot of different times with people. If you're looking at a team and you're thinking about their path forward or out of whatever they're mired in right now, how many ascending players do they have on their roster? How many young guys do you think you can build around? And I think the Eagles and the Bears are both in a similar spot. There just aren't many of those guys because they've paid for veterans. In the Bears' case, they've traded away a lot of picks. And they've tried to win now. And they both are these Andy Reid disciples that, as Nate said on the Sunday show, have the funhouse mirror of the Chiefs' offense. I think the Bears and the Eagles are probably in that conversation. The Bears, at least, are similar to the Texans. By 2022, you can clear this out. And at this point, if I'm Chicago... The, the One of the reasons they have a tiny bit more hope than the Eagles do, there is a chance still that the Bears can potentially get a top 10 pick this year. If they continue to lose, if they finish like 6-10, and 10, they absolutely could sneak into the top 10. They could pass teams like Atlanta, Detroit. It's in the cards. And I think some of the other teams in the top 10 may not be after a quarterback. The Giants aren't going to pick a quarterback most likely. I don't think the Falcons would pick a quarterback if they happen to pick in front of the Bears. I don't think the Giants would pick a quarterback if they happen to pick in front of the Bears. The Lions are another one of those teams that if they happen to pick in front of the Bears, maybe sticking with Matthew Stafford. So let's say it's a four-quarterback draft and Zach Wilson from BYU is your fourth guy. I think it's theoretically possible that the Bears could be in a position to draft their quarterback if they keep losing enough games. And if they are, If by 2022 you got your young quarterback and you got a fresh team and you have a fresh front office and a fresh coaching staff, I think there is a path out of this. It is not an easy path, and next year is going to suck miserably. (laughs) But I think we've seen teams like the Panthers bite the bullet. We're going to clear out all of this cap. We're just going to say, give me the $50 million in dead money. 
this year is going to be hard, but with a new staff, there is a path forward. That's exactly what Carolina did, and I think it's not that crazy to see the Bears in a similar sort of spot. I'm going to put the Broncos in that conversation. As oh, well. there it is. Okay, I, so the Broncos. I, I do you think they would actually move on from Drew Locke after this year? Probably not. I mean, it, we'll need to see what happens over the next the the rest of the season. We'll actually even see if he plays this week. He's dealing with some rib issues, and that doesn't sound fun when you have to play the Dolphins. But they just have a lot of issues, right? I mean, you talk at, you talk about ascending players. You talk about, you look at their salary cap situation, and most of their good offensive players haven't gotten to play much this year, which has been you know frustrating. You know, I think Cortland mm-hmm. Sutton is one of those guys. Jerry Judy's had a really rocky rookie year, but I think he's going to be a really good player. Philip, yeah, he's better gonna... than any of the young players on the Bears or the Eagles yeah. at this point. <laughs> Philip Lindsay is great, but misused and probably will end up signing elsewhere once he becomes a free agent because of the way that they've messed with his contract situation already. But it's just depressing, I think, if you're a Broncos fan lately because they've messed up this quarterback thing over and over and over and over. And I still think there's a lot of things to like about Drew Locke, but there's a lot of things that are going really wrong with Drew Locke as well. And he needs to fix those things. Their coaching staff needs to fix those things. I'm also not sure how much patience John Elway is going to have with Vic Fangio. Is he going to blow this whole thing up again? Every two years, they're hiring a new head coach. I mean, it's quite this carousel of quarterbacks and head coaches and quarterbacks and head coaches and over and over and over again and not getting any closer to being relevant and being competitive. And that's why I'd throw them. I'd throw them in there. But nobody should feel bad for Broncos fans because they won a Super Bowl five years ago and you got to sign Peyton Manning as a free agent and have four really fun years. So nobody is feeling bad for anybody in Denver. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, sincerely appreciate it. Please go rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. I would really appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic. We still have our dollar a week promotion going. It's theathletic.com slash football show. I promise you, you will not regret it. It is a wealth of information every single day. Today, Zach Kiefer wrote a great story about Matt Eberflus and his rise to become one of the best assistants in the NFL. There's one of those stories every single day from the team of writers that we have. I promise you, you'll be looking forward to those when and if you get your subscription. We'll be back on Sunday night with Nate. Until then, though, thank you so much for listening to The Athletic Football Show. We'll talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.